0: Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Linnert and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is AC Burgess. AC Burgess was born in Red Bank, New Jersey, where he was raised and educated. As a young man, he apprenticed for master craftsman Shomo and participated in the performing arts under the direction of Judith Holton and Sun Ray band leader Marshall Allen. Upon graduation from high school, he attended the Academy of Culinary Arts in May's Landings, New Jersey. From there, he traveled from Europe several times as well as Brazil, Eastern Europe, and eventually the Caribbean. His many college years were spent in New Jersey, the US, Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Welcome to the podcast, Desi.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kimberly. it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, so let's start out by you telling us a little bit about you, where you started out, and maybe about some of your travels and your adventures.
1: Okay, sure. I started out in, like you mentioned, Red Bank, New Jersey, from the Jersey Shore uh, in Monmouth County. It's a great little bedroom community um, that was a little bit divided. There was a west side and the an east side. I grew up there. I went to high school in a neighboring local high school, and uh, decided I didn't really want to go to college, and ended up working with a master craftsman, Chamo mm-hmm. from seventh grade through high school and even a little bit after. It was from there that I went on to culinary school. Um, and I was almost done when I ran out of money and I didn't want to get another student loan. So I left and packed my knives and moved to Europe, <laughs> actually. And uh, then I started the travel adventure, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm back and forth from London, Amsterdam, I visited Poland, Brazil, um, and just, you know, was sort of wandering, but uh, always focused on working. I just kept working, basically. Mm-hmm. and uh, one path led to the next, to the next, to the next.
0: Yeah, so when you decided to, you know, pick up your knives and leave and go to Europe, um, what did you, what kind of work did you do when you actually got to Europe to keep yourself traveling around?
1: I uh, I worked as a chef. I was a uh, troubleshooter for a company that had restaurants in uh, Chelsea and Notting Hill Gate and Old Brompton Road, so I really Fell into a situation where a guy needed someone who go to three different restaurants and fit in with the crew real quick and jump in the kitchen. And this, the schedule would rotate. And it was great because he didn't like me, I didn't like him. So it was perfect. <laughs> I was out of his way and I got to yeah. hang out with uh, great people. And uh, that was pretty much it. That's what I was able to do for probably about six months. And then uh, I came back home. That was a story in itself. And just kept trying to find ways to live back in the country. In, in London unsuccessfully.
0: <laughs> oh, really? So yeah. what is it about London that you love?
1: Oh, it was just uh, it was fresh, it was clean, it was new, it was international. The languages, the food, the proximity to the continent of Europe uh, and, the, and the bonds that I'd made with friends from different places. It fit like a glove. And it was like a vibrant city. It was London.
0: Wow. So then but you ended up back in the United States then? Yeah. And then what were you doing here?
1: I, um, What did I come back and do? Worked in restaurants, basically. I did a very, I did a summer session. I was trying to decide whether or not I wanted to go to school um, more formally. So I did a, a seven-week program at Seton Hall Law and Rutgers Law simultaneously um, to determine whether or not I wanted to be a lawyer or if kids from New Jersey of color would Get into law school. It was a good experience, but it's not what I wanted. And uh, I went from there to the Virgin Islands.
0: Oh, okay. So, how did you get to the Virgin Islands? Because you have quite a story here of travel.
1: Yeah. I have a family member who said, you know, you're traveling all around. You can cook. If you go to the Virgin Islands, you'll never run out of restaurants. It fits your lifestyle. And then I made a call to a brother's friend who happened to live on St. John. And uh, I said, hi, I'm. Lonnie's brother, can you, can I sleep on your couch? And they said, sure, just come down. So I bought a ticket and I went there and I didn't leave for probably 10 years,
0: I oh, stayed. wow.
1: And then uh, actually, yeah, I kept going back and forth and I did have to leave at one point because the hurricane came and it was really, really bad. That That occurrence shifted my life. That's when the shift really happened with this really bad hurricane, Mm after which I stayed for months, came back to Red Bank and decided I would volunteer in like an AmeriCorps program. Remember that program? Mm -hmm. Right, well that was interesting. And I went to my old teacher's classroom and volunteered and it so happened that a teacher had, one of the teachers had passed away and left a sizable endowment to the school system for anyone who graduated in any year, if they would become a teacher. So if I applied, I couldn't be refused. Uh So for the most part, unless I was a knucklehead in the interview, and I got the scholarship. And after I got that scholarship, I said, okay, well now that I know I have enough money to go to college up into a PhD, I'll just go back to the islands and figure it out for a year. And so I packed my bags with the little letter that says you've got the money, and uh, (laughs) my time deciding where I wanted to go. And it was while in St. Thomas waiting tables, that I met two different people on two different days in the same location who happened to be Puerto Rican professionals Uh who suggested going to their island to study. And I I took their suggestion. They even suggested the same school because it would leave me bilingual. Uh And I called up the school and said, hey, I got this letter from New Jersey. I'm in St. Thomas and this is what it says. And the person on the phone said, well, if you get here in the next 48 hours, we'll take you and we won't charge you an application fee wow <laughs> so i called the next day just to be sure maybe i'd get someone different on the phone
0: mm-hmm. right
1: and i didn't this one was the director of the education department and uh i got on the plane and i went with my letter it's a 19 minute flight from saint thomas i flew to the south east coast of puerto rico very very country in a town called san german and i uh I just showed up, I had my letter, and I settled in and went to school there for four years and did what I needed to do and ended up staying an additional two years in Puerto Rico teaching. So it was great.
0: What, what were you teaching?
1: I taught, a, it's really funny, I taught a, um, elementary education English at a school called American School that was actually a private school in the city of Bayamon, which was outside of San Juan. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: wow. So tell me what you liked about
1: that. Uh, the, the students and the, my principal. My principal was brilliant
0: mm-hmm.
1: and hip and strong and stern. It was a family-owned school. The funny part about it was the, I only heard about the school because I was a counselor in, in college and a group of kids I counseled. One little girl said, one day maybe you'll work for my mother. She owns a school. Oh. <laughs> I mean uh, I said I guess between August of uh, the year 911 occurred and September I had need to make a decision about staying or leaving the Virgin Islands. My mother had just passed and I was like, "Okay, do I go back to New Jersey? You know, she's not there. Or do I take this offer to teach in Puerto Rico? They made me an offer." Mm-hmm. Uh, and a friend of mine said, "Go. Go to Puerto Rico." So I just went. And I stayed, and it was a—it's just a great experience. I only left because I, I wasn't Puerto Rican. I mean, I already lived on an island for 14 years, and I wanted—I got homesick for the Virgin Islands, basically. Mm-hmm. But the whole Caribbean student population—they're very smart. It was huge. The school was big to me, you know. my first teaching job, you know. It's really hard. Teaching's hard, and your first year is rough. And uh, this woman made me a teacher, the principal without a doubt, and I love And to this day, those students are not so much intact as they are still accessible, and I'm still in touch with them. They were in the fifth grade then. Many of them have graduated law school now.
0: That is amazing that you have with them that long. Mm,
1: I even have one kid that's about to join Aubrey Artworks. Another kid that was, I was her first teacher. She was homeschooled. She's an incredible lawyer in Puerto Rico. I'm in touch still with these people. Isn't that amazing?
0: That is really amazing. It's really almost unheard of that people stay in touch that long.
1: They found me on Facebook and a little kid said, you told me that one day we would stay in touch. And so I've come to find you. And then he got me in touch with the rest of the students. Isn't that
0: amazing? That is so amazing. And that speaks a lot to your character and how you connected with those kids.
1: I guess, I guess they were pretty unbelievable.
0: Yes. They were like, yeah, they
1: were these little people who are poets and, and, and artists, and they grew up to do amazing things, mm-hmm. you know, so.
0: Wow, that is wonderful. So, um, so then you taught there, but then when I met you, you were doing Aubrey artworks. Which yes. had nothing to do with teaching, so how did you get into that?
1: It started with those kids. I uh, was given an assignment to to make work, their work interesting, and it was flat and boring. Quite honestly, I was an English teacher. The books, the stories were stale. All of it was stale. The curriculum, in my opinion, just wasn't as creative as they were. But my principal gave me the uh, she gave me the leeway to get creative. So I had to bring the stories alive. So I would into mingle art and expression of the story through art and that made a really big difference in how they understood the work um and then from there i mean that really was the beginning of Aubrey artworks my whole mo the whole time was to support emerging artists students mm-hmm. were the emerging artists and it just grew i ended up leaving the uh, puerto rico after my two-year contract it was great loved it i'm out of there i got a job at a very small school, private school that was just starting in Saint John, and then I, I kept using the same technique, um, and I had a small amount of kids. I had like 19 kids in fifth and sixth combined, so you could be creative with the curriculum, and that really was a catalyst for, uh, for learning. Mm-hmm. And I would com- my techniques, meshed well with certain other teachers, always with the social studies teacher, always with the art teacher. We would bring. Uh, the stories alive in cultural ways mm-hmm. and then involve the community on a very large scale. I mean, large scale, like if we were studying the Egyptians, we would have a builder come in and recreate pyramid type things with the kids. And then we would bottle and merchandise different food for the purpose of uh, a class trip. Where I would take them back to Puerto Rico, where I studied across the island. I took nineteen kids across Puerto Rico for a week. That was crazy. Um, so everything came together, and, and to this point, became Aubrey Artworks, and has come full circle, without question.
0: That is so amazing, and that the the learning style there is, or the teaching style is so immersive. I mean, that those are kind of things that. A person who goes through your classroom would never forget i mean oh they
1: didn't forget yeah you're right you're right it was very immersive but you know there are plenty of teachers how do i say this you can do that in small settings you could actually do it in large settings um later on i guess in the later years i moved from saint john to saint thomas and i got a teaching job for one year i took this position in a private school um, and it gave me high school kids that was interesting Mm -hmm. and then. and this is where our art Artworks really began. I said, in lieu, of a high sc- in lieu of a senior year final exam, you're gonna do this art project and tell the history of this town through gallery quality work. And it must be gallery quality. And I'll give you the guidelines and then you figure it out. And if, you, if, I, if we have any issues that I can't handle or you can't handle, we pull it and I'll give you the test like every other kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, they bit and they loved it. And then when they drove me crazy, I pulled it. And then they begged to have it back. And <laughs> the end result was that a, a local senator saw the work that they produced and then three days later they were in a gallery and that started Aubrey Artworks.
0: That is amazing. So every, every um, student in your classroom actually graduated having a piece of artwork that was gallery quality, they could put it in a gallery. That well the
1: the the whole impetus was really not even about that the idea was that there was a group of junior level students whose um whose potential was high but their their grades didn't reflect that and then i taught advanced placement english and honors english mm-hmm. so i could blend the two grades and use art and culture as the common ground so if they had to interpret um the history of Jews in St. Thomas, right? Which is very, very important. It's the oldest uh, synagogue in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And they had to do it through photography, tell the story through video uh, of gallery quality. And they could do it. You could, they could do anything. And they did it. And they did it. And Camille Pizarro's from St. Thomas. And just a lot of, uh, there was a lot of room to get it done. And we got yeah. it done.
0: And you were combining history. so. With one subject, you were teaching so many subjects. It's so That's well why practiced.
1: you let me get away with it, because <laughs> it wasn't in the curriculum, believe me. <laughs> yeah, they didn't invite me back, but it doesn't matter. We had a great year. And those people today, those particular students, many of them, um, are the sponsors of RB Artworks right now. They're successful engineers. Um, we still do great work together. Our relationship's intact. So
0: that's good. That's wonderful. So... Um, with everything happening and a lot of people are staying home some some students are going back to school some students are deciding to stay home um and i think the whole educational system right now is being just like it's almost like you're throwing something up and waiting to see how it's going to land because things are changing so much in the in our educational system what are your thoughts on that Um, what do you think what direction do you think would be the most beneficial at this point, as far as education um, here in the United States?
1: I think it's a great time to close the technology divide, I, and that's that's the issue. Um, for me, it is an issue of balancing economics and education. I wouldn't send my kid back in the classroom right now. I don't have a kid, but that wouldn't happen. Okay, and what's going, what's necessary is that the playing field be level in terms of technology. No matter what side of the tracks you live on, that's the issue at hand. It's kids just don't have the, the the technology, they just don't. And their home life isn't quite the same. Um, and then there's the issue of the amount of students that go to school that depend on a school lunch for a meal versus the other side of the halves. okay? So the disparity is, is gross, it's great. And I don't have the answer. I really don't. I mean, I would like to see um, kids have the technology they need and enough food on the table. Mm-hmm. And I live in an inner city right now. I'm living in Baltimore, Maryland, so I see it. It's live and in color here. It's unbelievable. But Nobody knows what to do. I just read in a newspaper where the governor of the state of Mississippi um, is advocating that kids go back to school in certain areas that aren't necessarily the hot spots, but they're all hot spots. So I don't know. I don't really know. I haven't taught in three, I haven't taught in a minute actually, in a couple of months. Um, I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know what to say to that one other than I'd like to see, how do I say, it, the economic gap close. I think that cable companies hold the key to this, sitting down at the table with boards of education. Okay, they're making so much money and are quite frankly so greedy that what pittance they throw out, they actually think is generous, but they won't stop making money make technology accessible, let's tackle this one at a time, and there's just a myriad of issues. Mm
0: -hmm. That's all we got on that one. -hmm. You're right, and I think that's a common uh, answer when I ask anyone that, because no one really knows what to do, and we're just kind of feeling our way through this. Yeah, we are. So, yeah, yeah, because my sister's a teacher in Michigan, and uh, most of her kids are at-risk kids, and during this time when they weren't going in the classroom when she was trying to connect with her kids. The kids didn't respond to her. The parents didn't respond to her. They're not going online. They're not logging in. They're not doing their work. Uh, she even went to the extent of actually getting um, little gifts and food and things like that for all of them and and having uh, someone deliver it to every home of every student to let them know, Hey, I'm thinking about you. You know, she, they, they cut her cell number, call me, connect with me, whatever. But the, you know, because of their home life and because it's, you know, they weren't, they're not being told, Hey, you got to do well. Cause you want to go to college or you want to do well, they're not getting that and they don't yeah. have a parent that's actually supporting them. So it's, it is like a, you know, even with the teachers doing the best they can, there's going to be a loss here in education if, if like you said, if we don't do something.
1: Yeah, the the gap is um, the gap is huge. There are definitely losses. I mean, it's been rough. I think I stopped teaching in March. That's when the program I was in an after school program that was very important after school program actually, and the kids were all there every day. It was part of their academic life actually, and uh, it just stopped abruptly. It stopped before you could say goodbye to the kids. Like it was don't come back to work because of COVID, you know? And I, I just wonder like, what's going on? I have no idea either, no idea. Some kids I'm sure are showing up for those online classes and I imagine there's a large amount that are not showing up, you know? So we'll see what happens. I'm anxious to get back to my kids,
0: mm-hmm.
1: without a doubt, to do my part. Yeah. So, which is, you know, the best I can do is my part and be present and be there for them. And that's, you know, that's how, that's what I would be doing anyway.
0: Right. And that's all we can all do is just our part in, you know, trying to help. So, but um, you're doing other things to kind of bring the community together and you're doing that with the Aubrey Artworks. So do you want to talk about that and how you're, you're doing that?
1: Aubrey artworks was, uh, how do I say, what do we do? We, I'm a community curator if I have to have a title and um I seek to bring people together that might not normally be in the same room let alone showing in the same space and it's uh, just something that I, I thought to do I was very strategic I spotted a series of luxury living spaces in Baltimore and it was great buildings and they were all owned by the same company It's like how do I get in there and I had a friend who left the hotel I was working at to go open one of these luxury living spaces owned by a different company. And I told my concept and he said, All right, I'll let you launch here. And he did. And it was very successful. And then that set the I had it videotaped actually. I have all my shows recorded. And I had it professionally done by another friend and a student, or actually a young man who's not a student. Um so now I have collateral to take to the the concierge of one of these luxury living spaces and say, hey, I've got these people from here. Let me come into your tenants and appeal to them. You can tutor it as, a, as an amenity, okay? Our level is high. It costs money in terms of uh, them buying things, but my service is free, so why don't we do it? With that, you have to let me invite members of the public to come in to your private luxury space, and you invite your tenants and residents. And it worked, so the two would come together. And they would just come together for the purpose of what? Enjoying a cocktail while looking at great art and buying art. And they didn't know that the artists among them would be a kid from the, uh, west or south side of Baltimore and a woman from Peru. Mm-hmm. Or, um, let's see who else. So have, I have all kinds of people in this thing. A guy from Argentina or a girl from Belarus. You know, these are all artists who would be in the same room with, um, with the average guy and that's it so that's it's really it's community literally people from different walks of life from different parts of uh of the state um and the world actually coming together that's it that's it for a limited amount of time and then we set up a series of these i mm-hmm. said i would ambitiously set out to do 10 shows and brand this company
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i did it And my mentors were like you know 10 is an awful lot something you haven't done one of I'm like I got this, you know.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Tired, but I'm good. Yeah, we did it. And it just got better and better, and you learn along the way and you get as much help as you can, and and uh, and you learn and you, you capture data. That's the trick. If I had to do it again, I just capture more data, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know what your next step is.
0: Great. Right. So you're just um, setting up these art galleries, if you will, in the common spaces in these luxury. Um, living spaces.
1: Well, until COVID came and wiped it out. Yes. Yeah, yes. like no more of that. No one's gathering anywhere. That right. those days are done. So, in one fell swoop, the teaching job left, the restaurant waiting table job left, and my business stopped as uh, I knew it to be. Everything did. So it required that word everyone's throwing around called pivot. It required that one pivot on a dime. So I did and that's where we're at. We're adjusting to the new norm of uh, online business, uh, having people directed to an online space. Uh, I, two, of my teachers are, two of my artists are teachers, so I was able to uh, work with them, and all of us come together to offer online classes. So that would help, and the hope is and was that the people in those luxury living spaces would be drawn to the classes if they were interested. And so we tried that for about a month or so. And it got a little bit of momentum. That's good. Then we took a break. And then we just restarted again and added a cooking class for kids and teens to that. Oh, sick. it's part of it. And then an online gallery at Instagram. And then a website that that features merchandise and an expanded gallery. And that's literally where we are now. So we're still feeling our way through this um, in hopes that when COVID passes, uh, we'll be back out there. Mm-hmm. that's it
0: but yeah yeah and um yeah i know when we first talked and you um realized that i i'm an artist that you know you offered to let me put some of my pieces up which i have not done yet but i will yes um, i like your
1: colors i like the way your colors blend i like the way you, i look at how people see light
0: uh-huh.
1: you know among other things i'm not a trained artist in that sense but i um i got a good feel for what i'm doing i'm always eager to to help people get out there and your stuff's already on at mark in market so mm-hmm.
0: Why yeah not? but if other people actually wanted to uh, if they're artists and they actually wanted to um, put their art out and aubrey artworks how would they do that
1: they should just go to aubreyartworks.com look through the pages and there's a section that says join us and you give me a call and we set up an appointment and we discuss what you do and we look at the quality of your work and uh, we make decisions and and that's pretty much it. You talk about what it is that you want to do, and I tell you what, what direction I'm going in, mm-hmm. and uh, and see if there's a, a connection. And at the very least, there might be someone on the site that you can connect with. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly not a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's everything to gain, nothing to lose in that
0: sense. And then someone who actually was um, looking for art to purchase would they also go to Aubrey artworks? Is that where you have the uh, art displayed or is it all on Instagram? Where would they find the art? Uh,
1: there's a Aubrey artworks gal- online gallery on Instagram where there has a rotating gallery art for purchase. And of course, on the website at aubreyartworks.com where we are literally just playing, pegging in the numbers and the, the mediums offered. There's probably 25 artists there. So there's a lot to choose from. Mm-hmm. We're setting up whether or not they're prints or photographs, or maybe you need portrait services. All that's there, as well as a merchandise section that's growing every week. That includes a recently published coloring book. Mm-hmm. And the coloring book is from original paintings of Aubrey Artworks artists. And so that can be ordered, which is great. It comes with coloring pencils, the work's original. Um, it's part of a recurring revenue stream to support the artists as well. Once it it reaches profit point. And uh, there's pottery for sale. So there's a lot to look for and to find at arbyartworks.com.
0: Yes, and I have looked at it, and there is a lot to be found. And it's very interesting and some really fun pieces, some very – well, I like the colors, so – I'm There's like, a lot of I'm color there. Bear. Mm-hmm. The hottest
1: thing on this on the site now, and that's the newest, would be the pottery, the coloring book, and classes. We have two level classes. Um, a four o'clock class with ja- Jasmine Manning. She's an incredible art teacher, and you'll it's done by Zoom online. So we'll have adults from California and a kid from the Virgin Islands and someone's neighbor, and they'll meet there. At re- they just keep coming back, which is cool. And then the second class is Josh Brooks, which launches this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He has a an older, not an older set, but a more advanced art group. We're hoping to, to draw. It's a slow incline. And then in the morning at 11 o'clock, I do a, a, a cooking class for kids and teens with my great niece, who's 13 years old.
0: Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun.
1: Yeah, we're trying to package, this as a, package it as a camp just to get some momentum now. And I... My hope is that in fall, once people decide that their kid's not going back to school yet, okay, or they're combined going to school with some online work, that they would consider Aubrey Artworks as a creative arts hour on Thursdays.
0: Yeah, that would be great. And also, for the same reason, you know, a lot of kids will be staying home, you know, maybe 11, 12-year-olds and up, and all of a sudden, you know, I've heard so many people say, I have cooked more than I ever have in my life, even adults. So now some of these kids are going to actually have to be preparing some of their own meals because, you know, mom or dad might have to work all day and won't have time to do that. So
1: That's the message I'm telling them. I'm saying, look, teach them a valuable skill, the skill of cooking and preparing their meals so that you don't have to. That's the message. I'm not sure if they're getting it yet, but they'll get it. They'll get it in about four weeks. Right. <laughs> right? Because that's, yeah. Coming any minute now, as a matter of fact. I'll still be there for them. Uh-huh. Uh, join late if you need to. Start them early. There's really not very little hot foods. You don't have to worry about them burn your hand off. Um, and it's a preparation of an organic beverage, a nice snack or lunch, mm-hmm. and uh, a dessert.
0: Uh And that's it. It's just fun with
1: a bunch of banter between me and a 13-year-old kid, uh, Sydney, who's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea is that you, if you can't, it's interactive, you don't have the ingredients and you can't cook Then, then jot it down. Just write it down so you you can start your own book Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: have your recipes there. And that's the idea.
0: Uh That sounds really wonderful. So now you've been through a lot in your life, including uh, being a cancer survivor. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Briefly. In 2016, I guess, I was diagnosed with an aggressive prostate cancer while living in the Virgin Islands. Um, And it was like the, the perfect storm where my job had just ended because it was a political post where I worked at the behest of the governor who just finished his two terms. So that had just ended. The house I was trying to buy, the mortgage company folded. And so it's like, okay, I lost the job. Now I'm renting the house that I'm trying to buy. And I just got diagnosed with cancer. So all in the same matter of months. And uh, yeah, it was a, you know, I took it in stride and just kept moving and just Mm -hmm. threw it with a lot of great people. And fortunately no physical pain. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. And uh, great support from my family and friends, and it uh, brought me back to America. That's why, I, or back to the states proper. So that's why I'm here now. Basically, I finished up the treatments. I did what I needed to do, and uh, I'm rebuilt and feeling great.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know the fact that you're back here. The I, I met you through Monica, and um, and, and she is your. Uh, uh, through
1: Radia, you met me through Radia, actually.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. So right. Of a diet. That's right. That's right. A di- yeah. Who's my niece.
1: Right. Yeah. Who's actually my niece? hmm And uh, she lived in Ellicott City, so my treatments were in uh, in Maryland, and then moved to Philadelphia. And uh, after those treatments, I lived. I lived with her in Ellicott City, and then branched out to the big city of Baltimore all by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> in fact, I'll see her today. I see her often, so she. Was huh? Her, um, her support, her family support, and a system that she created called B-Printing. And B-Printing can actually walk you through various stages to get what you want. Uh, if you're willing to explore and go in. Uh, it's a system. It's a great <laughs> system. I ended up being trained in this system and offering support to other cancer survivors. So it was the B-Printing methodology. It's actually <laughs> a technology uh, that combined with a methodology. Uh, really helped to get me on my feet.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I did have her on the podcast. So if people want to know more about that, they can listen to the one with Rabbit. Tell me her name again. How do you? Radaya. Radaya. I don't know. Why I have a hard time saying Radaya. Yes. Yes. So yeah, they can do go there. And um now you're doing some other things too. um You're involved in a company that has CBD oil. It's a technology company. Um, What are you doing with that and how is it helping you in your life?
1: Well, it's interesting. I started with a CBD oil maybe two years ago. And the the idea is that uh, CBD is introduced to your body to support your endocannabinoid system. And this system gives you balance. Uh, This particular company, unlike the other ones or many of them out there, has a unique technology in terms of absorption. So... I don't think it works unless it can get absorbed into your cells. Mm -hmm. Their absorption technology is what sets them apart. I jumped on it after a friend of mine uh, who's a leader in CBD oils, highly recommended it. She's a cancer survivor and a nurse as a matter of fact. She's been through it all. She's been through the gamut. She knows what she's looking for and looking at. I trust her and I did my own homework. And I said, you know, this company actually has some they're doing some great things. This looks good. I liked it. I know that CBD works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a million of them out there. I wanted something that, that was, how do I say that? Had an edge to it. And I think that this is called Z I L I S. This one I believe does. So I'm always looking to balance my system. It has CBD and something called CBG. And that works more with your flora and your gut system. So the two combined and it's absorption rates, what's attracted to me. And what I do is I'm pretty much a spokesperson and a representative for this company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it, you know. I just started, I just bought into the company yesterday as a matter of fact. Uh, I'll be going to pick up my new products tomorrow or Friday in New Jersey. So I've got a lot of things on the, on the burner and I'm loving every minute of it.
0: Yeah, and so when you take the CBD oil, what do you notice that's different?
1: Well, what happened to me was that I had issues jumping out of bed in the morning. Well, of course, I'm 56 years old, so jumping out might not be the smartest thing. But uh, bending down and picking things back up. That was a real slow start after 39 radiation treatments. And you want to stave off the effects of radiation around your waist and your hips. It's going to come and get you at some point, they say. I've watched it happen to members of my family. Mm-hmm. The CBD oil gave me the mobility to start to exercise and then enter 5k races and i did that so i know what it can do you just feel better you don't you want to feel better
0: oh definitely i I I I feel better that on and off and i just never could make a decision on it because i've heard well first of all there's so many companies yes second of all uh i'm like i've heard so many different things people say it does, and I'm like, "What does it really do? <laughs> so it I wonder, does what fact. does it really do?" <laughs> I,
1: I tell you, it's funny because it, it can be confusing. There are so many on the market. I uh, I look for ones that are endorsed by uh, by people I believe in. Like I like Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz tells you, gives you an idea of which CBD will work and how it works, because you want to know how it works and what it's doing. It's not some magic elixir that. You know, that isn't science-based, and it's important to me that it's science-based. Yeah. Um, so once I learned how to take it, I took it for probably two months. I did it for two months, and then I stopped. It got very expensive with other companies. Mm-hmm. So I stopped. I was like, I can't even afford to, to sell that product. You got to stay in. It was the pyramid scheme, the whole bit. Not interested. I mm-hmm. only kind of get some CBD oil. And I stopped and my body still feels good from it. Then I discovered my friend Karen Appie, uh started using Zelyse and I was like, you know what? Let me see what she has. Something told me to just call her last week out of the blue. And mm-hmm. I called her um, and then I just got right tied back into it. And I see all the stuff that it does. And it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun ride. So I am hoping to bring all my friends along on this ride with me.
0: Great. Yeah. Program. So if people wanted to actually get that from you, would um, is there a place like on the website where they would contact you or do you have an email or some place where they could?
1: I'm not going to just give me a call. They can call me directly at 443-589-4425. 443-589-4425. Or go online and go to Zilis, www.zilis, and then you can go slash AC Burgess, and I'll come up somewhere. Okay. <laughs> okay. So
0: they can find They're you
1: Googleable if that's a word, and that's I'd fine. be more than glad to turn them onto it.
0: All right, so what for you gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point?:
1: At this point, bringing products to market, sitting still, meditating, exercising, knowing I'm getting on a plane seven days to go back to the Virgin Islands for a minute. <laughs> um, it's a, everything that I'm doing. It's creating, how do I say that? Having the discipline to develop the acumen I need to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Isn't that enough?
0: Plenty, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: So, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing all your adventures and wonderful things. And, you know, if anybody wants to uh, buy art, be, you know, send in art, learn to cook, get some CBD oil, this is the man here.
1: (laughs) That's the deal. deal. So, you know, my niece calls me the people's uncle. So (laughs) I'm not ready for office. Isn't that funny? So, yeah, it was a pleasure being here. I'm glad that you invited me. This felt really good. Uh, No one ever asked me questions like this, so it's nice to share, and I appreciate the work that you do.
0: Yeah. So I have one last question before we get off today. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life?
1: Oh, my best advice on living an incredible, amazing life. Tell yourself that's what you want to do. I would say start there. Sit still for a moment and listen. Listen to the silence and the messages that come through. And surround yourself with people that are there to help lift you up and do the same with gratitude. It's really that simple. I think you can get what you want and what you need through breathing. Sitting still will do that. Sitting still will do that, okay? You listen to how you breathe. The messages will come. You'll know what to do. You ask, source will answer you, allow and be open to receiving it, and um, and make it a daily practice. That's, that's all I got.
0: All right. We'll talk to you again soon, AC. All
1: right. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure.